Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. To play or not to play. We have no idea. Let's talk about this. This is Orange and Backcheck, episode 57. We are back. How you doing? This is the Orange and Backcheck podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. This is episode 57 of the Orange and Backcheck podcast. We are finally back after a little bit of a hiatus. Across from me, as always, Scott Weinhardt. Dude. How you been? What's going on? What are you? What have you been doing this last what two and a half weeks? Through nearly three weeks that we've been uh, on a hiatus here. I've just been taking this whole thing day by day, but I did indulge myself into a new series or mini series oh. that is actually a, a really, really a lot better than I think people would think it would be. Mm-hmm. The flight attendant. Interesting. Is the that, one on HBO Max with Kaylee Cuoco? HBO Max one, right? I have not dove into it. I heard it's pretty good. It's fantastic, dude. It it it's it's it puts you in a situation where so far through five episodes, you got to wonder: is this chick for real, or is she just making all this up and she's just insane? Like, it, I'm telling you, dude, it's one of it's great. It's fantastic. The humor in it is great. Um. It, it, it's fantastic. I've been blown away by how good it is and how captivating it's been. Is it released week by week new episodes or is it all at once and you're just on episode five? No, they released three episodes. I want to say at the beginning uh, at the end of November and then they just released two more episodes on the third. And I think it's supposed to wrap up in two weeks. See, so- I don't think I, I don't think this is a hot take. I am glad TV uh, outlets, streaming services like HBO Max and obviously Disney Plus with The Mandalorian. I'm a big fan of going back to the week by week thing. Agreed. Because it, it, it keeps people coming back to the app at different times. You don't want to binge watch it and then all it's done. And then people who haven't even watched it, you're ruining it for them. Like, yep. I, I, I do think that that's part of the magic of TV is having that week by week and that suspense to get you coming back to it. And I do think that's actually a good thing that the streaming service is doing it because it does give that level of normalcy, as you would say. Yeah, and we uh, after a 2020 that's now the time of this recording. What 26 days uh, at the end of 20 till the end of can't 2020? Come fast enough. Can't we can't. Fast we, enough. we could use some normalcy finally. So yeah, we go yeah. back to the old days of TV, quote unquote, old days. Uh, yeah, it's a, a nice, nice little feel. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I I will definitely have to check that out. The flight attendant. Uh, the flight attendant. On, it's on, on HBO, HBO Max. It's with okay. Kelly Kawako. It's it's uh, it's dude. It's it's just fantastic. It's a fantastic show. It's just re- the, she. This is a one of the great best characters I've seen written and developed in a long time. It's just a great character in general. So yeah, watch it. 
Yeah, and uh, my and uh, my wife and I we started watching the Netflix series, uh, The Queen's Gambit on I Netflix. Hear, I keep hearing about that. I, I I I think that might be after I'm done this one to go to to go to that one. I keep hearing great things about that one too. It's just, it's an interesting show. Uh, her name, the actress's name, Ann Taylor Joyce. Uh, uh, she's in been in a couple things, and she's very very good. Um, it's interesting because it makes chess interesting. Like it's a yeah. show about chess and you're like, okay. well, I'm, I don't know. I like, I'm one of those people that never learned how to play chess. It's, it hasn't really been something that I've been interested in doing. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a, I, we're, I think we have two episodes left and it's fascinating. I do that in the sixties and, and she's like the only female in this, in this field. So it's, it, it's that dynamic and it's very, very cool. You know, I learned how to play chess when I was 10 years old uh, mm-hmm. on a computer. I, I learned actually learned by playing back in the day when they had the old Macintoshes, um, the color screens where the, the in your schools where the air conditioners had to be on all the time. And um, the um, we used to play uh, the, the chess master and mm-hmm. you actually would teach you how to play chess. I love how chess is so tr- strategic. It's fantastic. And people, yep. it's not like checkers. Like I'm not a good checkers player. Uh, but I'll 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 kick some ass in chess because I I think three or four moves ahead every single time. Yeah, and that's the po- that's the entire point of chess, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. You got to think way ahead. You got to think, okay, like how am I gonna if if I do this, am I putting myself in check? Not this move, but the next move. And you'd be surprised how much you can miss just on you know by evaluating every piece on the board. You can miss a lot. So it's, I, I love that because you can play chess anywhere online nowadays. Yeah, you know, obviously with the internet. So maybe I'll dive into it just to get well, a feel for how it works. You, you know? and I, I tell you what, there if you we go. can we can do something, I'll teach you how to do it. I'll kick your ass a bunch of times so you see what I'm doing, <laughs> and then you can finally beat me. There you go. Yeah. Uh, well, like, so speaking of getting beat, is the NHL beating itself? Uh, like, let's get into this. Let's talk some hockey here. Is the NHL beating itself and they're looking at the NFL and the NBA, what the Major League Baseball just did and just going, how can we not do any of that? And then just F it all up and that's the end of it. And we're not going to have a 2021 season now. Because that's where we're looking. It's not going to be any hockey other than what we had in the return to play back in August and early September. Twenty twenty one is going to be it for the season. It's going to be whatever it is: fifty games, fifty six games, sixty games. No one really knows at this well, point. It won't be sixty. I'd say I, I'm going to go on at limb and say when when the season gets going, by the time they have it, they're going to try to. Here, here's the conundrum that the NHL is in by by waiting this long to get the season going and 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 getting the whole mess they've had on the table now is that you can't delay the season with an expansion team coming in. You you can't. That's going to cause a whirlwind of crap because then you have to figure out. Okay, you have to have the expansion draft. At the expansion draft, you got to have free the draft, and then you got to have free agency, and you've got to do all this stuff with bringing a new team in there. And we're in a crazy time. The NHL needs that couple of months to get that squared away. They can't delay it. They can't wait till November or whatever, December again, to find out they might be in the same exact situation. We're going to have hockey. I think it's just going to be a 48-game season, very similar to what we've seen in before the lockout in 2012-2013 and in 94-95. Yeah, the more uh, – there was a lot of whirlwind of news throughout the last like week or so, week and a half, in terms of what's been going on in negotiations between the owners and the Players Association. And it sa- the way it sounds, it sounds like the sky is falling and it's an imminent lockout per uh, type of situation because a few owners are saying – they want to just completely redo the CBA, which is 
absolutely crazy because they've agreed to this thing. They agreed to extend it back in July. And then they said that, that that extension by association extended this thing into the 2025-2026 season, I believe. So, like, these owners, for a lack of a better term, reneging on this, this agreement is crazy, and it just seems greedy. So I agree with you. I think we're yeah. going to have hockey at some point. Um, and they need to have hockey, as you were saying, because Seattle is coming in, the Kraken are coming in, and it's a big deal for the NHL in terms of what they need for revenue, what they need for fan bases, and what they just need for a, a, a sense of normalcy. We're, I keep going back to that term, but it's true. So I agree with you, but I, I'm nervous that the owners are just going to shoot themselves in the foot and like we're going to, at the end of this thing, just go, well, that that's – that's it, and they're not gonna they're not gonna play because the only people that are gonna ruin this are the owners. I don't. Think oh, I do. think you're absolutely wrong in your thinking with that. At the no, the owners aren't trying to ruin this thing. Let's mm-hmm. think it from the owners' perspective. You're looking at it from the players' perspective. Let's look at it from the owners' perspective. Mm-hmm. If you're running a business, okay, and these guys want to get paid their money, they already agreed to some sort of rollback on their salaries or pro and prorated salaries. Um, so there that that's been one of the kicking points. They've given some of that stuff up to to accommodate for this. They're gonna be paying more sure. escrow. Uh yep. which if you go back to episode twenty eight, you can understand what we discussed about escrow and understand why it works and uh how it affected Kevin um Kevin um Kevin Hayes. Uh, Hayes is, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Kevin Hart, wrong Phil, wrong Philadelphia guy. Uh Kevin Hayes contract. And so if you're looking at from perspective, if you're running a business and you don't have any cash coming in. How do you expect to put the cash out? So it, 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 this is this is the argument here. Mm-hmm. The, the people are saying, it's, oh, well, these owners are billionaires. They can afford this. They, okay. Your billionaires are, are, are guys who have a lot of assets. Okay. They own a lot. They own the team. They own the stadium. They own the, the copyrights for this type of stuff. However, that doesn't mean they have a lot of cash on hand. So you can have a lot of assets. Like you can have like a house. And you, it's worth like three hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Uh, but you could be living paycheck to paycheck on that more pay, paying that mortgage, so you could have a decent amount of equity, but not the cash to be able to pay it up your mortgage each month. The problem is, is that the most of the teams get their get their player salaries paid by the gate revenues. It's not off merchandise. That's where they make money. It's not on the concessions. That's where they make money. It's not off TV deals. That's where they make money. But in order to cover their costs, they need to offset some of the money that's not going to be coming in. They're going to have to funnel this from some from um from those uh uh, from the apparel sales and the souvenir sales. They're not going to get any concession sales and they're going to have to take some of the money from the local TV deals and kind of funnel it out that way. But they don't have the cash on hand without the gate revenue to be able to play these players. And it's going to wind up hurting them in the long run, the players, because what will wind up happening is that they're going to pay a lot, lot less in uh, when it comes down to it. They're going to be paid a lot more than what the owners think. There's no 50-50 split. And then their, their escrow is going to go up even more, which means they're going to wind up paying it back down the road. So you're, you're looking at it and saying the players are greedy. No, they're not being greedy. And I can understand if they're not happy with the fact the owners are coming back and want to renegotiate the table. But I don't think the owners anticipated it would last this long. So without any gate revenue, how are they going to make money? But I, I I get all that, that, that the difference between cash on hand and assets. I think everyone who's listening to this podcast understands that. But the difference is 
everyone else. You, you can't cry poor after what you, we have seen over the last few months post Stanley Cup champion uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and look at the NFL, the NBA, and what they're doing in terms of realizing COVID is here for at least you have to anticipate it to be here, even with the, the good news of a vaccine being one approved in the United Kingdom and on on the verge of being approved here in the United States to be distributed. You can't cry poor and not realize that the NFL and NBA were planning for this well in advance. You can't just look at it in with six weeks to go before your projection to start the season on January 1st and go, oh, by the way, you have to take more money out of out of your pocket because we're losing too much. And and then try and do it through some quasi way of finding a way to renegotiate the CBA deal. That's not in good, good faith of labor negotiation. I not, like it, it, from the, the difference between the labor negotiation of the NHL or any pro sports and any other union is way different. I get that. But the end of the, from the sole point of it, it's still an agreement between the owners and these players association to do what they have agreed to. So you can't just immediately say, by the way, because we didn't uh, properly plan ourselves for how this pandemic is going to play a role in our in our league, you got to take even more of, out of what you uh, have already agreed to. Instead of doing seventy five percent, you got to jump it down to seventy percent. Five percent doesn't sound like a lot, but at the end of it, five percent is a lot out of a, a player like uh, Kevin Hayes. I get it, but here you're, you're missing the overall point. You're talking the uh, the players agreed to a fifty fifty split of the revenues. Of course, they yeah. did. They did, yep. okay? They capped escrow at 20%, okay? They've asked the players to take a 10% rollback on their salaries and basically defer 10% of their salaries till down the line. They flattened the caps so teams can still operate at a decent level, okay? The owners have done plenty here to make sure this can work. You cannot ask the owners who aren't making cash to be able to pay these players they're not okay. making cash in, in ticket revenue. They're making cash. But that's elsewhere. the that's the bulk of making that's the bulk of paying players' salaries. Where else are you making enough to not only just pay the players, but also support the entire business? Because hey, listen, let's not just talk about the players here. Let's talk about the actual people that work for the franchise, the average people who go to work like us nine to five each day. Mm-hmm. And well, not for you, but it's more you <laughs> nine p.m. to five a.m. But you go, it's yeah. Fine. But still. You have you, you have to think about you need you need to be able to support those people as well. That's all part of that gate revenue. But to most be of them able are being furloughed. Most of those people that you're talking about have already been furloughed. Yeah, and if you start a season, you're going to have to bring some of those people back. You have to bring your accountants back. You have to bring people back to be able to pay these people. You have to bring up your administrative people, your your sales people. You're going to have to come up with campaigns, marketing, all that stuff. You have to figure something out because you got to maximize your revenue somehow. So it's not so much about just paying the players and i understand why the players would be hey you're negotiating in bad faith well not exactly we didn't they didn't anticipate it would probably be as bad as it is and trying to make sure that they can continue this going forward without having to lay off every one of their staff so someone can make a million dollars but we have to cut and mrs jane who makes 50 grand because i can't afford to keep her because the players think they're 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 more they're more important than the average staffer so think of it from a business perspective and don't be so aggressive on the owners for trying to balance a business when they don't have the ability to keep bringing cash. There are owners out there that say it'll be cheaper for me not to play at all rather than play without fans. And it's Which the is- absolute truth. 
And and it's and I'm not saying it's not the truth. It, it, it absolutely is a probably a, a a factual statement for the smaller market teams. We know who they are: the Phoenixes of the world, or the Arizonas, whatever they they're going by at this point in in, in the world. Like those kind of teams are Florida. Florida's a small yeah. market team, and you probably have to look at like a team like Columbus would be a small market team. Nashville, in a yeah. sense, is probably still a smaller market. Columbus but and Nashville are interesting because they're smaller, but their fan base is extremely extremely yeah loyal. but if their states don't allow people in the stands where are you making that revenue right. it doesn't matter look at look at look at philadelphia as a perfect example you can't go to eagles games anymore and go to an outdoor game there you can't go to um you can't go to, you mean you're not gonna be able to go to inside to a flyers game yep. so it doesn't matter if there's rabid fans out there uh, and and fans who are you know would go to season ticket holders they can't connect into the stadium so they're not paying money to do that but let's also look at it at the perspective of the players, right? The players just went through an entire summer, essentially, where they bubbled themselves in Edmonton and Toronto for an entire, like, for X amount of days until their team was eliminated from the playoffs. Flyers, obviously, in the second round. Tampa Bay, they went the entire way. Like, these kind of teams isolated themselves, already took the pay- paycheck, risked themselves of getting COVID. Now, obviously, the bubble worked. The bubble is way different than what we're talking about now because we're talking about the potential for a one-time season uh, conference or, or, excuse me, district. What am I trying to say here? Um, uh, division. I, division. Thank you. I, I knew yeah. it was something with a D. Division. <laughs> we're a one-time realignment of divisions. Canada's teams in Canada, Eastern Coast teams on the can in, in, in on one side. Like this is a a situation where you're not dealing with a bubble, and because you're not dealing with a bubble, you're also players that are dealing with the potential of contracting the virus even more potently. And look at what again. We have to look at the example of what's been going on in the NFL, especially, and what the MLB just went through in the scenario that essentially is going to have what the NHL is going to do. They're similar to what baseball did, where the NL East just played games with the NL East and the AL East, and so on and so forth for the remaining divisions. The NHL is going to do something very similar, and there's yes. going to be contractions of the virus. It's inevitable. Not we obviously we have no idea who we have no idea what teams, but we cannot continue to tell these players. Listen, we want you to risk your lives. We want you to take a pay cut. We want you to isolate yourselves potentially. I don't I, 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 from your entire family when it comes playoff time because I would imagine they're trying to do a bubble again for the playoffs, no matter what is the uh, state of the 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 world at that point. Like you cannot continue to just tell the players who are making this money, which is more than the average accountant, obviously, for those respective teams at the same time, but they are also more important. Like We can't deny that fact that the players are the most important thing or the important quote-unquote asset for the owners at the same time that they have these other assets. So you can't continue to just go and dip into the pot of the players and say, Take more money away from you. Take more money. Take more money. At some point, the players are just going to say no, and that's where we're at. Yeah, and I and I still think that it has to do with the owners trying to offset some liquidity issues here that could have wind up affecting the league. And that's the important thing to look at is that there there's a very fine balance here because again, it's not a sport like basketball where everybody's going to watch and you have a ton of national audience. It's not like football where they own pretty much a day out of the week, and it's not like baseball which is just a lot of old money and people 
playing around who who have enough cash and who do that, like John Middleton Middleton, who has to lay people off right before Thanksgiving because he's just that kind of guy. I guess he's not selling enough cigars again. Um, Here here comes the issue. Hockey is very, very high overhead. The owners mm -hmm. legitimately, legitimately have to make sure that they have enough liquidity to cover their costs, which is why there's a 50-50 split on the salaries and not like an imbalance like there is in other leagues. So you have a lot of overhead, and it it affects it too with the lower leagues not playing either, like the AHL teams. Like A lot of them are not going to be operating either, so that affects teams of their players and their farm system and trying to play. There's a lot of trickle-down effect with hockey. So I look at it this way. They've, They've had Some teams have had conversations about possibly moving games outside. I'm in favor of that, but that has to happen a lot of places around the country for it to happen. Because, like, for instance, like you could have the Flyers in in Citizens Bank Park essentially and and get on the horn with them. But if Philadelphia is not allowing people in the stadium again, what's the point? So, again, you're still not bringing in any revenue. And now you're reducing additional revenue to try to keep the ice frozen in in somewhere where we haven't gotten cold weather here in years. I I think you look at it as. You're taking the risk of putting up that money in the in the hopes at some point between January and May or whenever this regular season ends, um, you're going to have fans in the stands, whether it be Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, oh, Columbus. Like I think you have to because of what's been happening in terms of the vaccine, uh, the progress on that and how that's going to be distributed. I think you kind of have to start planning for a not a post covid because i think covid itself is going to be here similar to what we're dealing with the flu nowadays like i think that's what we're looking for yeah so i think i think we're gonna have to for a lack of a better phrase learn to live with the virus in terms of with a vaccine who's getting the vaccine and you need these you need to get fans you need to get butts in seats in some way shape or form obviously outdoor seating is way more appealing right now than the potential of indoor seating at the Wells Fargo Center because that's not happening i would guess until 2021 2022 season that hopefully starts in october yeah i don't think you're getting fans back in the seats indoors to that not across the league and i think once once they you know the vaccine gets widely distributed i'm sure that the guys the owners and the players they're going to get access to it first which is fine but that doesn't mean the average joes aren't so until people have a mass amount of vaccine where they've taken it or safe enough where people are safe from it who've taken it um, this situation isn't going to change. So I really can't blame the owners for coming back and say, hey, this year we know we're not going to make our money back. You're going to have imbalance here. We're going to split 50-50 because that's what we agreed to. The players are saying a deal's a deal. We're saying, listen, we're trying to offset it this year so you're not paying it back down the line and complaining it down the road. We're trying to make things work here. They both want to play. They both want to do it. It's the owner saying, listen, we know we're asking a lot, and we know we've asked a lot of you already, but – at the same token, we, the owners need more to make sure that everybody can financially survive this whole thing. Because there, you know what? If you don't, there's teams who are going to lose a lot of money this upcoming year, and they might not recover from it. And you don't want to go back to the days where you had Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Arizona all declaring bankruptcy. And that's the, the league I think is trying to avoid. Of course, yeah. And I, but I, here's what I'll ask. What do the players right now owe the the owner? Play what do the players right now owe the owners? I mean, it's just simply escrow and they've asked for a deferment on their salaries at right now about ten percent. Which they've already given, 
right? Correct. Exactly. So, exactly. So but Gary still, Bet- you're you're asking them to defer ten percent of their salary. Kevin Hayes is making seven point uh, seven point one six million. So you're asking them to defer. Uh what? Ten percent of seven point one six million is seven hundred sixteen thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So you're he's still going to pay him six and a half million dollars, pretty much, right? So, so where are you going to get that six and a half million dollars from? But, but but when Gary Bettman comes out and says the players owe us more than anyone imagined, like what do like what is he trying to get at? What more? Again, it goes back to my point. You cannot continue to just go into the well of the players' association and say give us more. You need you know to why? cut more because, because the owners in the CBA have the right to basically, if they don't want to have a season and they feel it's not able for them to have a season or safe enough, or they can suspend operations. So if, and that's the thing is that Bettman's coming up by saying that the players should be fortunate in the fact that the owners are doing this. Okay. I, there's two sides of this. One of it, the players be like, dude, like we're the one taking all the risk. Okay. Health they wise. Are. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Health wise. But mm-hmm. financially, no, they're not because of course they're they are financially. If they get How? sick and they There's... because if if they if someone gets the coronavirus, if they if a player gets the coronavirus and their lungs don't properly work like they used to because it's a respiratory disease, if they don't work after that or like work properly to what they expected, then they're not playing anymore. So by guaranteed that factor, they're not contracts. Going to... Okay, guaranteed, that, that and then you claim insurance going... on it. Sure, but it, like that—that's—that's that, what—that doesn't mean it's a guaranteed thing. But you're missing the point. I'm saying is that yes, if if a, if a player catches COVID and he can't play anymore for COVID, okay, there's going to be issues that stem from that. It's not like his contract wouldn't be guaranteed because hockey contracts are guaranteed. And if but there's it's also any less issue than that- what he agreed to. It's a seventy-two percent less than what, or he's taking only seventy-two percent of what he originally agreed deferred, to when he signed that contract. Deferring it, Defer, they're not asking okay, if he's deferred, deferred down if the he, line. If it's deferred to after he's retired or had to be forced to retire, it's is he still, still getting deferred. the money. It doesn't mean it goes away forever. You ever hear of a student loan deferment? You could defer your loan for two years. It doesn't mean two years. All of a sudden, you don't have to owe it anymore. You're okay. going to start paying it in two years. Same concept. If but there's a deferment there, they're going to pay it back at some point. But also take it out outside the realm of just playing hockey and getting paid for formally playing hockey. If you you're if the contracting the coronavirus hurts you in, a, in such a way that you have to retire. Also think of post retirement, not not just monetary. That then you're talking about a player that's life is essentially completely drastically different because of the NHL demanding that they play at a, a sub, at a subtracted rate of uh, of cost. Well, it's not like the league won't give them an option to opt out. So these players know the risk that they're taking. And but I'm talking about the player that doesn't opt out. They play, and then 25 games in, they get the virus. They have to quarantine for two weeks, I imagine. And then they're like, I'm still not feeling well. I don't know if I can play anymore. Well, what about that player? I think that that's something you have to look at down the line. Honestly, you have to look at it down the line. But at the same time, that owner's still going to honor that contract. So if it's, but they would have to. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. They have guaranteed I, contracts in hockey. I understand that they have, but what what are owners at the end of the day in the business for? Making money and keeping that money in their own pockets. Whether we want, like, like if they can find a way that they don't have to pay a player, they will find it. Just I, because it's I a guaranteed player, they that. find a way. No, they I doubt that. No, and here's the thing. It's like, for instance, okay, let's use an example of a guy like Nathan Horton. Nathan Horton mm-hmm. signed a long-term deal for a lot of money, and then he got hurt and couldn't play anymore. 
So his contract is still on the books with a lot of teams. I think it's with Toronto right now. They have it on the books for a lot of teams where they're eating the cash and paying it off. It's dead money, just like the NBA system. But that insurance takes care of that. They have to insure the contract. So it's like, for instance, the team can take out insurance on a contract. If a guy can't play, the insurance pays the contract. It doesn't come out of the owner's money. That's how they make it on the back end. Same concept would happen here. Premiums would go up. Yeah, definitely. But still, that's not the point. So you don't have to worry about if someone gets COVID. The players know the risks they're taking. That's why they're deferring payments, not saying we're going to take a rollback on our salary. They're saying deferments. The only thing that's going to wind up hurting them is the escrow because the players are going to wind up capping out at 20% escrow this year, and they're going to owe a lot of escrow over the next couple of years here, probably for the majority of the CBA. So that's going to be the issue here because the owners aren't going to have that 50-50 split. The owners aren't going to make nearly enough money, and the players are going to make all 90% of their salary at this point. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case then the owners have to come up with basically 90% of the money that they're making $0 on right, 0% on right now. So those money of season ticket holders, guess what? They're not making a dime of that. So now they have to come up with out of their own pocket with that, which these guys have money. They can do it for the most part. But at the same time, it really is at the players to say, hey, look, we're trying to offset because of liquidity issues. It's not because these guys who own these teams and companies or they don't have the money, assets, and the wealth to do it. A lot of people don't have the cash to be able to fund $80 million in payroll for a shortened season. But don't you – like there's a scenario that I could see where the league – as a whole, the NHL offices could f- help those teams out that are in those dire straits, financially speaking, for the 2020-21 season. The NHL is a collection of 31 owners, and mm-hmm. Bettman represents them all. That's the NHL right there. The NHL doesn't have the money on the books to be able to just say, hey, we're going to pay out $1.2 billion in revenue to play at the team so they can they can, uh, they can can fund all this stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't – I. With the owners of that, they 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 do have to make. The, it's not the players should make more concessions. Is that the owners are trying to make sure they limit their risk a little bit as well? Because at the end of the day, they're the one giving the money to the players, so they have to make sure that they're not going to go belly up because the players are getting ninety percent of their salary when they're not making any money at the gates, which is the main driver of revenue in the NHL. Which is like you just kind of hope that the teams that are going to be outdoors with 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 games with Pittsburgh, uh, what, what did we say? Anaheim. Well, the idea they've talked about, yeah. So it's Anaheim, Los Angeles are talking about the joint partnership. Pittsburgh and Boston have talked about having games outdoors. You well, hope that goes through. That would be a really would, big thing because you could exactly. sell probably about thirty thousand tickets. And at forty thousand seat stadium, you probably could sell fifteen fifteen twenty thousand of twenty t- tickets probably. So hopefully, if if the state's allowed, if the county allows all these different things, if they allow that much to happen or have a maximum of like 10,000 fans, if that's the case, you have 10,000 fans there at a big stadium. Guess what? That's 50 percent of your seating capacity in most NHL arenas. That's pretty solid revenue you got coming in right there. So that would be enough to offset some of the worry for them. It would. But I I just everything you're saying is completely valid as a business owner themselves. I from the perspective of a business owner, I completely get it. But at the same time, from just the sole look, from the sole view of the NHL, why is it so difficult or not difficult? I, I get there's more monetary value in the NFL and the NBA, obviously, because of where the NHL sits. 
But the NHL should look at the landscape of what the NBA, the MLB, which is their closest comparison at this point in what they're doing, and just say, wow, we really need to figure this thing out. Otherwise, we're going to be sitting where we're sitting right now and arguing for the owners and the players from their perspective. And I think that'll wind up happening. I just think they, first of all, you could see they've kind of gotten away from the conversations about the money part. They're going to worry about that last. Let's, that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's figure out the rest of the details. That way we know we're going to have a season and we can figure out, come back to the table and figure this out last because – if they just hang up on the money issue right now, it's just going to grow more and more bitterness. The season's going to go later and later and later, and then you won't have a season. This shows to me by them going in and trying to figure out how the how of things going to happen. If there's going to be a bubble or a semi bubble or realignment of divisions, or Canada obviously isn't going to be able to come into the U.S. and U.S. Mm-hmm. people can't go into Canada, so Canada is going to be its own division. That's pretty obvious. How's the rest of the realignment going to work? How's the playoff format going to work? How's the point system going to work if we have to change anything there? All those little details are being worked out. How are we going to keep people uh, prevented from getting COVID? What are the restrictions going to be? Let's get all those details out of the way, and then let's come back to the money. That way we can only focus on one thing. We don't have to get hung up on money and figure out everything else later on and scramble. Let's cut all the details, and let's get right to it. And then later on, we'll come back and figure out the money. That shows to me that each side wants to play, and each side wants to make a commitment. It's just a matter of when that's going to happen, hopefully sooner rather than later. But at this point, I don't think we're going to start seeing hockey until probably the end of January, early February. I don't think training camp will even start until the yeah. middle of January at this point. Yeah, I mean, the latest that I've read is that they're, they've, they basically have two different proposals. Both have it uh, starting, the training camp that is starting right after Christmas that, that week. Uh, Christmas is a Friday, I believe, this year. So it would be probably that following Monday. Um, and then, tr- and then the season would start in mid January. No, it would either be a 52 or 56 game schedule. Um, I agree with you, though. I think it's going to be more towards late January, early February, yeah. but, um, on the whole, if you were to put a percentage chance that we have some form of hockey this season, where are you at? Um, 99.9998%. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm like 87. Like, I, I think. Why would you go straight for Crosby's number? Oh, that's true. That was so. Why would you go? Sh- why would you go straight for that? Okay, because here's the thing. Why couldn't you go eighty eight percent? At least I'd be like, oh, okay, we're a Flyers podcast. You talk Fine. about Eric Lindros. But here's my hot take, Cindy. What's wrong with you? Here's my Cindy Crosby take. You, uh, oh, what, oh, here we what go. are we in? We're forty five minutes in. I think it's safe. Cindy Crosby is the greatest generational uh, player that we've seen. In in the two thousands and on, sir, I'm going to stop you right there. Because if how dare Crosby, you say something that I completely Crosby agree with you flyers. on? What's that? So oh, how yeah. dare you say yeah. something I completely agree with you on? It's the yeah. truth. Because if Sidney Crosby, if Sidney Crosby is the classic player that if he was on your team, everyone loves him, and because he's not, and especially because he's on the Pittsburgh Penguins, we are obligated to hate him. Correct. That, that, that's that's just what it comes down to. Listen, so that, yeah. so yes, the eighty seven percent was was unintentional. I'll bump it up to 88% in honor of our boy, Eric Lindros. But let's let, let's look at the reality of what Sidney Crosby is, the greatest generational talent uh, of our of our lives. But let's be honest here. Uh, Crosby and Malkin were this generation's Lemieux and Yager. It really, yeah. that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And yeah, yes, they're a different type of player, but making the same They're point. both on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right. And, they're, <laughs> you know, you're waiting for the next Gretzky. There really isn't going to be the next Gretzky. Connor McDavid, he's probably isn't going to get there. He has the talent to do no. it. He's, he's not. But you're talking right. about generational players like – 
they are the face of the NHL for this era of hockey. Since the lockout, the last yeah. 16 years, 15 years, they have he has been the face of hockey, and he will continue to be until he retires probably in his early 40s. Yeah, it, 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 and like got a long time with him. It's more just labeling players generational players than the next great one because no one's going to be the next great one because don't say that that's not you never know you yeah, never know I, I i listen i'll take my chances on a guy that if you take away all his goals he still leads the entire league in points scored for his entire career yeah there will be no other player because the way they played in the 1980s the high scoring 80s there was bad goaltending defense wasn't great it was a lot of and and rushing hockey was exciting back then they got defensive in the 90s you probably won't see another guy like gretzky because of the speed of uh, today's game, there's a lot more speed than there is skill. And if there is a lot of skill, though, uh, they do it too fast to be able to have a guy like that. Um, and, and you're talking generation. Yes. I, I, even though we are a Flyers podcast and hopefully someone's still listening, even though we just both said that, it's the truth. If you look at it as a whole, not from a fan, that is he is the generational player. Behind yeah. him is Ovechkin, and, and there's no question about it. They both came out of the draft at the same time. They were the two faces of the guy, the face of the NHL, when that when they came out, so so before now, before we get back on on track here, if if excuse, uh, sorry, if Ovechkin wins another cup, well, I guess no, because because Crosby has what four cups to his name, five cups. Uh, Crosby has three, three. Okay, he's got three. Two thousand nine, two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen. So Ovi has to win at least three to get on the argument to be the best no, generation. I don't player. disagree with you. I, yeah. I know. I don't. I, I. I don't. It's not about best generational player. They're two completely different players. Sidney Crosby is a yeah. skill player. I uses his body to shrug off people. He doesn't throw the body around. Ovechkin has a hammer of a shot and has a uh, what's it called and, and can throw the body around like no other. So if he played center, he'd be ridiculously good, but his skill set is limited in that aspect. So, um, yeah, he he. I mean, those two are the face of the NHL. You have you know a Canadian and a Russian, and it's always been going to probably be like that going forward. There's a lot of good players out of Russia still. Yeah. Uh. So, but it, like I was saying, like I, I I just go and lean at eighty eight percent that we get hockey because. Oh, thank you, thank you for changing that. By the way, I, I just you're welcome. I I just <laughs> think there's a. There's a nuclear option that there's out there that we've talked about with the smaller market teams that might not play or might just see the finance, the numbers and the dollars and cents that would make more sense um, to just say we're not going to play at all. Um, There's obviously a scenario where they'll mimic the NHL. That is, they'll mimic what the the Major League Soccer did in their return to play game this summer and just say, okay, if you don't want to play, you're sitting out and we'll just move on without you and they'll play the season with. 28 teams, 29 teams, whatever it comes down to. Um, but I, I, I think because at the end of it, I think that, that 88% comes down to they obviously all want to play. Like, yes. it, it, like that's what – whether they're, they're going to disagree on the dollars and cents till the cows come home, but the, the, at the end of it, they all want to play, and that's what they want. That's – what matters and that's what means everything until someone says we don't want to play at all then 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 everything changes but until then nothing changes in terms of that and that's where Uh, like agreed that's where it all comes down to 100 because because both players players and yeah 
Because yeah. players don't care. Like, yes, the NHL owners are like, we need to get this expansion team in. We want to get the Kraken in, the Seattle team in. But the players, they want them in. But if, if like, if they delay, and this is this is very, very unlikely, but the players, like, if we, it, the from the players' perspective, they can easily say, well, if you have to push back the Seattle team one year, we're not going to – maybe that, yeah. that fringe player that might be drafted by them, uh, the Seattle team in the uh, in the expansion draft may be a little hesitant to do, agree to that. But if there's a scenario where it costs the Seattle Kraken one season, again, highly doubtful, um, I, I think players are more likely to say sure than obviously owners Dude, in that scenario. The way you're talking with the Seattle, like – Take like missing an entire year or waiting a year. You're, this is like conspiracy theory stuff. I'm not even touching it. No, you're, you're out I'm, of your mind if you think that's ever gonna even a scenario that we'd be. I'm not, but I'm, I, the 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 point is like players aren't any more concerned or are less concerned about the the state of a expansion team than that's not true. Own. Look at Vegas. You go to expansion team the way they do it nowadays. You have a chance to probably win a cup the first couple of years. Yeah, but I, right. I, from more, I'm talking more of the players that aren't going to be drafted by Seattle. They're they're the guys that, like I said, the players that are likely going to be drafted by or potentially drafted by Seattle may be like, no, I need this team in. But the the superstar like McDavid, Connor McDavid doesn't care. Claude Giroux doesn't care. Like those players, I'm talking about. I don't think. Eh. I to, mean, a, to a certain degree, not. I don't think. I don't think they'd even think of it. At the end of the day, yeah. look. Here's the thing. Like this isn't the the NHL had its premier embarrassment in 2004, 2005 when they couldn't mm-hmm. have a season because they had the labor dispute. They lost way too much money. Players wouldn't budge. The league wouldn't budge. It turned into a disaster. Um, you have your strikes every now and then. I think that we've had a, a, a level of uh, negotiated peace between the NHLPA and the NHL owners. I think it's going to continue that way. At the end of the day, the owners want to make money. The players want to make money. They both want to play hockey. They're going to get it done. It's just a matter of the semantics about, you know, this little back and forth stuff that it just happens in union and labor negotiations. And at the end of the day, they're going to figure it out. They're going to play. I don't think that any league is going to be canceled or not even play in any kind of nuclear option because mm-hmm. of this. Because at the end of the day, it's better to have a pair of eyes in front of a TV watching the sport rather than eyes on completely another product, and you're not even on this. You're not even on the radar. So, yeah, especially because the NBA is coming back in at the end of this month. Like they're they they, they have it all figured out. If the if, if the NBA can get it done uh, and and figure this thing out before, lot uh, less logistics, lot yeah. less players, lot less overhead. It, 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 so. Exactly. But I see your point is that. They can get out the nitty gritty and get the details done. And if the NFL can do it because the NFL has a lot of overhead as well, um, they could probably get it squared away. So and, I'm absolutely un- in favor for it. Yeah. And and we were talking about how every player wants to play. I don't think there's a player on the Philadelphia Flyers that's more jittery to get out there and play in 2021 than one Nolan Patrick. And we had some great yeah. news about Nolan Patrick. I know it's a name we, we've we touched on here and there in the offseason, but 
man, we haven't really talked about him in detail lately until now. Uh, our friend of the pod, I think we can safely call him that, Sam Carcitti, uh said that Nolan Patrick has had very minimal uh, issues in terms of uh, headaches. Like they've, all, uh, I don't think they've fully diminished, but they're looking good. He's out on the ice in Voorhees practicing. Well, it might not be Voorhees. It might still be up in Canada. Um, but he's out on the ice practicing. Like this is a huge Great sign for the Philadelphia Flyers and Nolan Patrick career. And it's just good to see that he, after the tumultuous year he faced uh, last season, I'm excited if, if this kid can get back out on the ice, no matter what he does uh, yeah. in terms of productivity. He'd probably be close to, I would say, what? He stopped in the middle of April of 2019 when they missed the playoffs. So you're probably looking at, oh boy, almost 20 months off the ice. Uh, mm-hmm. That uh, in, in an NHL game action, if they get back twenty one months, I, that's that's a lot of time. So, um, you know, I it's look, it's great to see Nolan Patrick back. He he signed a one year deal, bet on himself. He, he's going short term. He knows he needs still needs to prove himself. Like again, I think the kid has a lot of skill. I think he has a second overall pick. He knows he has a lot to prove, and I think he wants to prove it. And I think that now they've got this behind him and 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 in control. It seems like that's a great thing to see. I'm really excited to see what he does because he showed sparks of brilliance during the 2018-19 season, even though it was an absolute disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that it probably would take this kid probably about 20 games to get back into a flow of it, honestly, at least least 20 games. So you have to give him a little bit of a pass this season, uh, but I start thinking that you might see this kid start um, getting it together and and under the tutelage of uh, Elaine Vigneault. That's and, where uh, I was going with it. Yeah, like after what we saw with AV last season, in terms of riding Carter Hart into as hard as he did, all the young guys, like there, I don't. I think it put it this way: if there was a different coach that that we uh, had experience with for Nolan Patrick's compared to AV, where he has no experience, give me AV because of what we've seen in other players. The guy that can get a, uh, Nolan Patrick quickly and effectively and safely to the level that we hope to have him at—it's AV, in my opinion. Like, I don't think there's a a coach out, another coach out there that could do it. Agreed. Probably not one that we would see right away. The yeah. way he pushed yeah. the players, and you know what the thing yeah. is, I think that you know AV gets a lot of benefit as well. Is he's very very good when he's talking to the media because he understands that's his medium to the fans and he explains it as best he can. So um, yeah. he'll he'll give you an honest assessment about where a player is at, and I think you'll see a lot of focus with him talking about Nolan Patrick and how good he's going to be and how he's going to respond to it. Because listen, you know I. I think that with him having an opportunity, especially that they talked about before, having on the third line, like the the they, the Flyers envision this kid being a top center in the NHL. That you yep. don't draft the kid second overall, and not think he's going to be the case. Yes, it was a weak draft year, and you got second overall pick in a weak draft year, but still, this is the type of kid where they seem to be at least a top line center. This is this is going to be you know Sean Couturier is is right now as a top line center. It took Sean Couturier about five or six years to get to that point, so it's going to take this kid probably closer to six years. So you're talking about he's going to be in his mid-20s before it finally starts to click for him, but give him the time. So, again, he's, what, 21 years old right now? So yep. uh, I think with 21, 22 maybe. So if he's that young, you're going to have to wait probably another year or two for really him to get to get into a flow, especially after missing almost two years on the ice. So uh, I think it's good to see him back. I think it's going to be great for the team that he's going to get a third better matchups from the third line because it's going to add the skill that they didn't really have that we saw late in the playoffs. Um, and then added it internally without having to give anything up for it. So I think they'll weigh this this year and see where they want to take it from there. Because I'll tell you what, 
if they don't see an improvement or even give him a, he won't be on a short leash. We'll give him some rope. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but if he doesn't see some improvement here by the end of this season going forward, yeah, you might see the team start to say, okay, well, what are our other options within the organization or can we move this guy out and get some assets for him? Yeah. And I, I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think the flyers are in complete control of him. Yes. He's only on a one year deal, but if he doesn't pan out, I don't think there's. I think the Flyers will just continue to give him these minimal contracts. At some point, he'll just go to the league minimum in the worst case scenario, and then they'll just continue to ride him until they can get rid of him. Well, uh, not on that too. You could probably, at some point, if you don't think you could, if he's going to be a fit, or if you internally they believe that he's not going to be anything going forward, a lot of teams will understand and know that they know the value of him being a second overall pick, being a young center in the National Hockey League, which is highly touted. Um, so you probably could get a decent amount for him yeah, uh, in, sure. a, in, a, in some sort of trade. Some say, so, you know, like a, uh, some prospects and a, and, a, and a good round draft pick to be able to build up your, your rounding, probably get an NHL player out of it as well. So not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying at least now, you know, he's healthy enough where if that, that contingency had to happen, you need to maybe package him in a deal to get Patrick Laine or yeah. maybe, maybe, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, what's called, um, William Nylander, who was being rumored the other day for Travis oh, Sanheim. Yeah. And I, on, I, I fell out of my seat going, this is a joke. Like, come on. Listen, like, the person I, who I, reports like, it, the person who reported yeah. this is kind of a joke anyway. So, yep. uh, well, all due respect, I understand he's got a following, um, but literally ten less than 10% of the things that are reported by this person uh, come actually to be true, and it's probably just throwing darts at the dartboard for the most part. Of course. Um, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to rip another guy bored. on the pod, but everyone is bored at this point. Like every yeah. all the all, all of us, including ourselves, that are just desperate to get hockey. Like at this point, we're in the beginning of December. We should be breaking down what the Flyers are going to do before they go out on their West Coast trip and completely fall flat on their faces, like they do every year. And hey, year man, out. they could have like, come off a four game win streak where we're posting have... things about Cowboys singing in the sky. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you know. Th- yeah. You know, Very true. <laughs> well, I mean, it should, it should be fun stuff like that. But no, here we are. We're talking about flight attendants and Nolan Patrick and possibilities because owners and players can't figure it out right now to get back on the ice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the ultimate goal is it'd be really nice to just see Nolan Patrick on the ice in 2021 yes. in, in in February, March, whatever it may be. Uh, get him out safely and effectively as quickly as possible. And it sounds like we're closer than that when, than we've ever been because last season was a lot of I think just teasing like oh he's close he's he's still dealing with headaches and whatever it was and hopefully he'll be back like it was never committal this sounds like this might be a real this has traction and that's that's what it all comes down to that's what i'm looking yep. forward to yep no i 100 agree with you absolutely agree with you uh before we wrap do you have a uh do you want to do a, a husband roundtable uh what do you you got anything i got something that if, if you got to think on it i don't really have anything to complain about this week. I think my wife would actually be very happy with me. I, didn't, I, I don't have anything to complain about this week. Everything has actually been pretty good around no. here. Nothing to complain about. Mine's not a complaint. It's just an observation of just like what it's like to live with my wife. Uh, but my wife is very um, conscious about her diet. She's She's been going on this, as she put it, a vegan vegetarian kick for a long time. I'm not that. So it creates this dynamic of when we're cooking or having dinner. We almost ba- we basically do our own thing for like, I would say, two or three nights out of the week. 
where we're doing our own dinner. We're like, I'm cooking one thing. She's cooking another thing. Um, mm -hmm. But like what, the one day I asked her, I was like, Hey, what do you want to do for dinner? And she reiterated, well, I'm on this vegan uh, vegetarian kick lately. And I don't want to spoil that. And my simple reply to that was, didn't you have chicken with me last night? Like, <laughs> and her, did she have turkey at Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's the other thing. Like, I, I, like, I, I, it's also this thing where I tell her that, like, listen, gluten free doesn't mean healthy <laughs> unless you have celiac disease or whatever the other one is. There's no real need to go gluten free. But hey, if that's what she wants to do, that's what she wants to do. But it just I, I couldn't help but laugh when I asked her, hey, what do you want for dinner? And her reply was, I'm being on this vegan kick thing and I've been doing really well and I don't want to lose that. And I'm just like, you just had chicken last night. <laughs> like, come on. Her Speaking reply of, was, well, it was minimal. I'm like, uh, OK, whatever, oh whatever, has to, whatever you have to do to convince yourself. Speaking of chicken. OK, so um my wife loves chicken she's not a huge fan of red meat or pork or any other meat we mainly eat chicken mm -hmm. so okay with thanksgiving last week um i we ate turkey and then the day after you eat turkey thanksgiving of course and then the weekend after uh we made a turkey so uh we had a lot of turkey around here yeah so i ate turkey every single day for or chicken for dinner uh for a pretty much a week straight uh, so the other night, now I don't complain about what my wife puts in front of me. It, it, if it's food, I'll eat it because she's a good cook, a great cook. And also it's food and I'm going to eat it because I'm a fat slob like that. Um, <laughs> hey, you're seeing your nutrition. You're making things work. Oh yeah. I'm still down 40 pounds, which is great, but there still I'm a, I'm a fat kid at heart. So if you put food in front of me <laughs> and it looks delicious, I'm going to stuff my face. Cause that's just what I do. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, I, I think any, any man would do that anyway. Um, so and my buddy too, my buddy is a big meat guy who has a smoker and he keeps telling me all these different recipes oh. that he's doing. I'm like, dude, I'm going to be over your house all the time. It's amazing. But anyway, I, I want a smoker so bad. Oh, dude, you, he's, he's amazing. I had, had his, last time I was over there, he made, he made a smoked corn, uh, uh corned beef just oh. because uh, I smoked brisket, uh, just because he could. That's all he wanted to do. Yeah. He just did it. And I was, I ate it. It was amazing. But anyway, oh, that's so. We for the last week I had just been eating chicken, just chicken every single day, and my wife was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do barbecue chicken for dinner tonight." Okay, mm -hmm. whatever. Not gonna complain about it. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself, "If I have chicken one more time, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do with myself." So <laughs> later in the day, I'm at work and I get a text from her. She goes, "I'm not gonna be able to cook dinner tonight. Can we just order out?" And I said. Literally, I said, thank God, because if I ate chicken or turkey, one more meal, I'm going to grow feathers. I need red meat. I need red meat. I'm dying. I need redded meat, man. So, yeah, now, this it's is, not really it's not a complaint. It's just a matter of no I need I red meat that bad. That still, instead of when we go, we, we go to a certain diner where we pick up food and instead of fries, I get a fruit cup and I always get like the uh, like a turkey club on wheat instead of turkey. I got a cheeseburger on for you because yeah. I needed red meat that bad. And so, it was never more delicious in my life having a medium rare cheeseburger on wheat. It was amazing. Where'd you get it from? A diner around the corner that we okay. have at. It's a local diner. Good there spot. Yeah. So that's all I needed. And now I feel like a great human being again because since then I've I've eaten, you know, chicken or, you know, poultry or something along those lines. But uh yep. yeah, I, I get it. 
and it's healthy and it's good for you. But I agree with you in a sense that there, there's a certain thing about red meat and, and meat that you, you, you just need every once in a while. I mean, have yeah. you ever seen the movie uh, House Guest? No, I have not. With Sinbad, it's uh, from like the mid-90s. No. So the whole premise is that the guy is faking. He's running away from these mafia dudes, and he's faking to be a this guy, Phil Hartman's best friend, and they haven't seen each other in 25 years. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, the guy he's impersonating is a vegetarian, so he can't eat meat around them. So Sinbad's getting, like, craving meat the whole time and finally just gives in and stuffs his face with a Big Mac. So, yeah, <laughs> sometimes you just – get to a point where you need to stuff your face with a big mac (laughs) yeah there's no no fault in that like tonight i had a nice uh made one of those hatfield pork tenderloins for dinner while my wife all right there you go see roasted pork in a crock pot man like do that for a day yeah dude oh my god it's so good roast pork is one of the most underrated things out there people probably don't eat enough totally agree yeah Yeah, totally agree with that well uh, I think that's enough food discussion. Yeah, I'm going to go eat now. I'm starving. Yeah, now I'm hungry again. <laughs> My wife's not going to be happy that I'm hungry again. That's for sure. You're going to be making meat in the middle of the night. Yeah, just have <laughs> She's going to be mad about I, it. Because I, like I said, I'm the only one that my wife doesn't eat red meat. She'll eat chicken whenever she feels like not being a vegetarian. Yeah. But she never eats red meat, similar to your wife. So uh, I have a whole half of a pork tenderloin I have left over that I'll eat to- tonight, I guess, at some point. Now that oh, I'm talking about man. it. So okay, you go. Wake her up. Hey, honey, you want you want, you want, <laughs> you want, you want me to Pork, yeah. We want to taste some of my sausage. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, give us a follow on Orange and Backcheck, all Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Shoot us an email, orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts? Uh, do you is hockey going to happen? Do you think it's like Scott, 99.99%, or like me? What did I say? 88%. I I think I I had to bump it up a percentage point. So. I think we're getting it. I, I really think we're getting it. It's just that, so that's that's what it's coming down to. It's just a matter of. It, it sounds like it's just uh, it's all semantics, man. Yeah. It's just it's just stuff out there to kind of get one side to bend and the other stuff. That's probably most of it. What it is. At the end of the yeah, day, they're going to figure it out and we're going to have hockey. It's just it's a matter so of when. Similar to what baseball was going through throughout the couple months that it was out out of work. Um, that it, it, I'm just like at some point we're gonna get it and that's all that matters, yep. right? That's all exactly. that matters. One hundred percent. This is episode fifty-seven of Orange and Back Check. Hopefully we're back sooner rather than later as we get more and more news. Thank you again for listening. You guys are the best. Give us a follow on Twitter and Facebook. Like I said, Orange and Back Check, Orange and Back Check at gmail.com If you have any questions or thoughts on what's gonna happen, uh, again, we'll talk to you guys at some point and uh, let's go Flyers. Hey, uh, let's just say one thing. Fire Howie Roseman.